I'm Mike Buttle, and in this series I'm looking at the Isle of Man Steam Railway. In this week's programme I'll travel from St John's along the old steam railway route to Ramsey, calling in on the way at some of the closed stations, and remembering that playground of so many Fond Island memories, Glen Willen. St John's Station was once the hub of the steam railway network on the island. From here you could go east to Douglas, west to Peel, south as far as Foxdale, and along the route I'm following today, the most spectacular of all the Isle of Man railway journeys, north, all the way to Ramsey. I'm lucky enough to have gone by train along the North Line a few times as a youngster, one of the last generation to have been able to do so. I'll be meeting up with a few people along the way, the first being Ned Kenyuk. I asked Ned what he could remember about the station at St John's. Quite a lot. St John's Railway Station was, was not a, a feat of architectural brilliance. It was a functional building. I remember very high ceilings and mirrors on the walls, but the floors were, you know, when you hear, a, um, when you see a cowboy film on the television and they, when they go into the saloon and they walk over the board and the boards echo as you walk and the knots show up through. And that's how I remember the floor on St John's Railway Station and there were wooden seats around the outside and the, the ticket office was in the back and there was a hatch in the wall, about a foot square, and... That would slide open, and you never really seen who was behind. You never really seen you. You asked for what you. They punched the ticket in a machine, and hand and, and you give him money, and they shut the hatch again, and that was it. It was a functional building, and and it operated very well. I remember the gents' facilities. The toilets were outside the railway station on the Douglas side, and I do remember a, a brass plaque, and this brass plaque said. Please adjust your dress before leaving. What do you remember about uh, the station master, George Crellin? George Crellin was a perfect gentleman. But George Crellin knew everybody in the, in the village. Everybody said, I never heard anybody who, who would add a bad word to say for George Crellin. Uh, he was a, a, a perfect station master. All trace of the once busy junction at St John's is gone now, replaced by a car park. Leaving St John's, the trains from Ramsey and Peel ran side by side for almost half a mile in a straight line. Occasionally, there may have been a contrived race between the two sets of engines and coaches. Michael Starkey can recall travelling back from a football match. I remember us skeeting out the window, looking at each other, pulling faces each other with the other supporters. They had the red and white scarves. Um, and we, we had the blue and white scarves. But it was the excitement of this race. It seemed to be like 100 miles an hour, but it would probably be only about 20. <laughs> the Great Manx Train Race with Michael Starkey. Parting company with the Peel train, the Ramsey line crossed the main road at Ballalise, and shortly afterwards would usually rush through the request stop at Peel Road or Poor Town. Passing under a couple of bridges at Lurgidoo, the first proper station on the Ramsey line after St John's was St Germans. The red sandstone building is still there and is now a private dwelling. It was here I met up with Stephen Lace, who lived here for a time. Yeah, I was brought up here. My grandmother was a gatekeeper and the uh, first time I was out here, I was about two and a half, three year old, 1952-ish, and I was stayed here quite a lot. Uh, we actually moved into the station itself probably around 1958. And uh, I, I was about nine at that point. And uh, it was just a wonderful place for childhood. We had it all. With the beach, with you know the open countryside, but more more than and we had the railway. Mm. And it, outside my bed, we we lived in the station house, the old station itself. And half half seven in the morning, there was a train outside my bedroom window picking the school kids up. 
What a way to start the day. Absolutely. If you were living in the station, Stephen, what facilities were there for any passengers? Presumably the train still stopped there. Oh, yes, yeah. It was a little lean-to shed. But I'm afraid if you want anything else other than that, you had to find a bush. <laughs> and your grandmother was the, the gatekeeper? Yeah, she was gatekeeper. She was here from the, from the 1920s. Wow. But she worked till she was 80 years old on these gates. My grandfather was a length man. He was a plate lad, the, uh, the ganger, for many years. And he had to stretch from here to Burke. And he, in the heyday, he had to be at Burke for quarter past seven before the first train came, just to make sure everything was in order. How did he get up there? Foot, on foot. Yeah, oh yeah, he had to walk. Imagine in the winter time out here, pouring rain, blowing a gale, with the hurricane lamp. Also, he used to put a lamp on the signal, the north signal here, so my grandmother didn't have to climb up the signal. He'd do that on the way past. I had my first trip on an engine from St John's to Germans. I was about seven at the time. You invite me on the footplate at St John's one day. Myself and Percy was driving. And he put me up in the corner on the, behind the left-hand window. And let me blow the whistle for Pure Road and St Germans. And that was the first of quite a few rides I had with them. Tell me about working as a fireman on this section of the railway. It's spectacular from here to Kirk Michael. What was it like on the footplate? Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Come out of St John's. And you, know, you, you come out here, but once you got to here, to got what we used to call the North Signal, you could see Peel Castle, and that's where the cameras used to come out. You see them coming out of coach as you come around that corner. You know, it's just tremendous. No matter what the weather, the coach, the, the cameras all came out, and they had this tremendous view right down to Glenmore up to sea. And uh, you get up to what we used to call the Gob, and it was just, it was just lovely. Now, all the way along this section of track, there were substantial earthworks, and there were also those uh, tremendous viaducts at at Glenmore and Glenwillen. What was it like going over those, Stephen? Uh, Glenmore is fine. Glenwillen used to frighten me, especially coming south. It was steaming hard. It used to bounce, and the bounces get worse as it went across it. If Stephen regarded going over the Glenwillen viaduct on the train nervously, spare a thought for the men who had to maintain it. Here's Doug Kenya. My father had to have treatment on his eye because he got rust in it from uh, preparing uh, Glenwillen Bridge for painting. And I, I can't remember how often they painted them, but when they did, they didn't have any uh, scaffolding or anything like that. They just hung off the side, I think. There's uh, different days. Doug Kenya, whose father Louis was a track ganger on the Kirk Michael section. Another former railwayman who worked on the tracks is Ian Watson. When the lines to Peel and Ramsey closed, the railway was still obliged to maintain the fences and the ditches. Ian was based on the Port Erin line, but I wondered if he was ever sent to work on the northern section. Very much so. Often we'd get called out to go and do fencing, you know, on any of the railway lines, even the Foxdale line, and any ditching or anything like that we'd be called out we we could be weeks out there. It depended how, how big the job was. And that went on until it went to the government. That would be in 1977. Because they had to maintain the fences and, and all everything on the railway line out, out on the Ramsey Peel and Foxdale line still that time. From the viaduct at Glenwillen, there was a short straight run into Kirkmichael Station, where the crowds were the light and walked back to the Glen. The facility was owned and operated by the railway company who cannily had bought it in the 1920s. There are still many people with fond memories of the Glen and the activities it provided, particularly for local school trips and Sunday school picnics. 
It was a hit with the locals as much as it was loved by the tourists. Here are some memories of this lovely spot, firstly from Howard Quayle. Glen Willen was always a favourite spot for Sunday school picnics. It's to go around the island to different places, but invariably we ended up in the big cafe. And it was a big cafe in Glenville, and I can see it in my mind now, I can picture it there. And um, we'd have sittings for dinner, and we'd be going down onto the boats. I've got photographs of the, um, the boats that were sailing on the lake at the time, of my brother and friends and whatnot, all sailing the motorboats around. Uh, the swings, the slides, and of course you could go further down onto the beach. But there was a myriad of items in there of interest to the, the children. And you can have a couple of 300 children down there, coaches everywhere, because all the churches would be full, and there'd be a Sunday, it'd be a weekend, Saturday, Sunday, you'd all be out there on the Sunday school picnics, and it was a, it was a pleasure. Howard Quayle. Now let's hear from Ned and Doug Kenyig. Ned first. Oh, there was a machine outside the cafe that you could stamp your name on a strip of metal. <laughs> but I do remember that cafe at, at Glenwillen and the tennis courts when you went down on the left and the Borton Lake and there was swing. And if you carried on down um, to the beach, you could carry on down to the beach at Glenwillen. Oh, we used to go for a full day out down to Glenwillen. I was singing in a choir with Lillian Pickard and that was our day out a day at Glenwillen and it was enough it was enough it was freedom and there was enough there to keep well we were sort of young teenagers then it was enough to keep us occupied and when you came home you said yes we've had a good day out Doug Kenyuk also has his memories of the Glen and talking about Glenwillen in the height of the tourist season, that was really busy. Hundreds would get off at Kirkmichael and walk down to Glenwillen just in time to get their lunch and then go round, have a go on the swings and the roundabouts, go on the, the motorboats down there, have a deep down to the beach or the shore, as we used to call it. And, uh, and it was a great day out, all-inclusive, I think, probably. But we used to enjoy seeing all those people getting off the train and walking down the path right alongside the railway line. And it was, it was good. Kirkmichael today is still an operational station. If you're lucky when you visit, you might get to see its engine in the yard waiting for its next job. But it's not a steam engine, and you can't buy a ticket to go anywhere. Kirkmichael is now the district fire station. The next stop along the Ramsey line was by request only, but a very special request at that. Bishop's Court Halt consisted of just a bench by the trackside, but the trains could be stopped by the Bishop of Sodrum Man should he wish to board. A mile or so further, and through several level crossings and bridges, Balaf Station was reached. Nothing remains of the building and the waiting room, but the old goods shed still stands and is in the care of the Balaf Heritage Trust as their exhibition centre. After Balaf, another halt briefly operated for the Wildlife Park at the Kurug. Then just before Sulbig Glen Station was the Coolbane Level Crossing. My great-grandparents lived in the Keeper's Lodge here 120 years ago. Eliza Buttle was the gatekeeper and Joseph worked on the track between Sulby and Lazare. They had a large family and several of their children would go on to be railway employees, including my grandfather, Joe Buttle, who by the time he retired in the mid-1960s had become the senior engine driver. A few yards further down the track is the Sulby Glen station. Doug Kenyuk owns the property now and he told me about it. Uh, this is actually the second uh, building on this site. The original Northern Railway built a halt or a sidings here but it turned out to be not safe enough for the large numbers of people that used to come down from Douglas, the tourists, 
who used to come to Solby Glen and Salty Will. So they knocked down the old halt and used most of the material to build the new station, which is uh, quite unique on the railways of the Isle of Man because it's got a long raised platform and a covered canopy. The building itself is mainly grey slate with a lot of red sandstone round doorways and windows, which makes it relatively pretty with the uh, white picket fence in the front. It looks good. There's a total of six stanchions. Two of them are in the front porch. You can see them from the road as you walk by. The third stanchion is in the middle of our hallway. And then the next two are actually buried inside walls. They've been covered up. And the last, the sixth stanchion, is right next to our dining area. You can just see half of it now because the ceiling's been lowered a bit. But the six is still here, the canopy's still here. In fact, the whole building is still as it was, except that they've built around it. And overall, they've done a really good job of it. They've retained the, the, the character of the station, but also enabled people to live in it. And uh, they made it into a three-bedroom bungalow, basically. My very first memory is my father getting up, that's Louis, or Louis Kanyak, every morning, six o'clock, to walk the line. That was long before Johnny Cash did that song as well. He used to walk every morning from uh, Michael Station through to German Station. And it was because he was the ganger on the permanent way and he had to make sure that the line was safe for the first train in the morning, which was seven o'clock. So that, that's my first memory of it. The second memory was t taking one of those flatbed trucks down to uh, Ren Cullen to pick up the carrots that he used to grow down there on my grandmother's field. And we'd load the flatbed truck, take it up to Michael Station and put them in the good shed for ready for the train in the morning. And in that shed there would also be lots of rabbits and obviously this was before the days of uh, myxomatosis. And they would be on the train in the morning off to Colvin's and Conibears in Douglas. So the Carrot Express. <laughs> you could call it that, yeah. Doug Kenyuk, proud owner of Sulby Glen Station. The public footpath that the old railway line has now become carries on for a quarter of a mile to the crossing at the Keller, then abruptly stops. All of the former railway land from here to Milntown, a mile outside Ramsey, has now reverted back to private property. The next station is Sulby Bridge. The building still stands, and since the railway closed, it's been beautifully converted into a private dwelling. I spoke to John Ainley, the owner, and asked him what it was like living in an old Manx Northern Railway station. It's a nice, warm, cosy house. It's got lovely thick walls, so it's well insulated, and it also keeps the noise from the traffic out. Unless you knew it was a station, however, it, it's just like any other home. Um, there's no nothing left to tell you that it was a station other than a little bit of railway track in the back garden. Did you know that it had been the railway station before you bought it? Yes, we knew that simply because um, it was on the estate agent's brochure that it was a station. Um, but again, unless we'd been told, we wouldn't have been aware. Um, we bought it um, because we fell in love with the, the surroundings and what we saw as potential. So it's been, uh, it's been extensively altered over the years, hasn't it? Tell us a little bit about the alterations. Well, David Long bought it. He was a stonemason who converted it. He built a workshop for himself, which is now our garage, and he somehow acquired the church steeple from Andreas Church during the war, or put it another way, the, the steeple was taken down during the war when Andreas Airfield was built, and he acquired that stone, and consequently that's why we've got a porch and garage that match perfectly to the existing building. Um, we've still got traces of the old 
sandstone from the church in, around the garden with initials carved in NW28 as, as an example that tells you where it should have gone back but obviously it never will do because the stone's scattered far and wide now. And I believe we're after, shortly after you, you moved in you met up with the uh, the old station master that used to be here. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, he was um, walking past one day when I was in the garden and he introduced himself as being the last station master here so we invited him for a cup of tea he came and had a look around and was absolutely amazed at how it had changed he, he just didn't recognize it as the building that he'd left when he got made redundant he said it was changed beyond recognition but sadly he's no longer with us anymore so this is obviously a lovely comfortable home for you now but i've, I've got to i've got to ask this do you ever hear the ghostly whistle outside and the, and the clickety clack of a train going past Not that but we do hear many people stopping and telling us that they used to catch the train from here to go to school in ramsey and that's uh, if i had a pound for every time i was told that i'd be a rich man and i believe you also occasionally get a busload of railway enthusiasts descending on you we do probably once sometimes twice a year they all come rushing around and it, it's we find it quite amusing because it's our home um, others see it as a station but uh, they're very enthusiastic and we, we're happy to let them have a look where they're more than welcome John Ainley, I've got to call him the station master at Solby Bridge as John has just said, the railway was for many years contracted to take school children between Ramsey and all stations to Kirkmichael here are some memories of those school trains the school bell went um, at seven minutes to four for the rural children only and they belted out through the door with hats and coats and things flying everywhere and ran flat out down the road all the way from the school to the railway station they had five to six minutes to get from the Ramsey Grammar School to the train station otherwise they'd miss the train home to Sorby Balaf and Kurt Michael because they only went as far as Kurt Michael that was the collection that was the, the, the cut off place for the school uh, I'm, I'm old enough to, to say that I went to school on the train from Michael to Ramsey. Uh, they would have carriages that had benches in, but there were all, no partitions. So the boys from Michael and the boys from Balaf and Solby, they would all intermingle and have fights now and again and that sort of thing. Ideally, they were supposed to be in separate uh, compartments, but it never stayed like that, of course. And it was, it was quite an enjoyable trip come to think of it. It was a damn sight better than going by bus later on. <laughs> did, they, did they keep the boys and the girls separate? They did, yeah. They had separate carriages all together, so the only way you could intermingle with them was to get out and walk along the, the steps <laughs> on the side of the carriage. And of course nobody ever did that. No, 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 I wouldn't do that at all. <laughs> From Sulby to Ramsey, the North Line ran almost straight for five miles. It was generally regarded as the fastest section of track on the whole system. Legend has trains reaching speeds of almost 40 miles an hour, provided they didn't have to stop at the penultimate station at Lazare. The old building here is again a wonderful restoration job, converting an almost derelict station into a lovely private dwelling. From Lazare into Ramsey is a couple of miles. The crossing house at Milntown, home for many years to veteran engine driver Huey Duff, still stands, but from here on into Ramsey, the only trace of the old railway is its track bed, now converted into a footpath. The last passenger train left Ramsey on the 7th of September 1968. There were workings after that by trains running the oil contract between Peel Power Station and Milltown. Stephen Lace recalls the last of these oil trains. Oh, I certainly do. When did we deal with the oil train? It's my mind, it must be a total financial disaster for them. We haven't, we'd put the train up to uh, Milltown and we're back for dinner. Phone rang in the office. McDonald Shaw 
and he said, uh, "Sorry to say, he said the railway's closing tonight. You're all getting laid off. Bring, bring what, all, bring whatever you can back." So we brought, we had runners there and stuff, a few wagons. And we hitched the train up and brought it all back. It was a summer mood that day in the engine, really was. Like. The final departure from Ramsey was a works train, sent up some months after the line closed. Geoffrey Kelly was fireman on that train. Uh, it was uh, in 69, October, and they decided to do the same with Ramsey, what they did with Foxtail, go up there and bring everything back that could be moved, uh, rails that were lying around, wagons and various things. The rail cars went up the day before they went to Ramsey and with a wagon and they were loading rails up onto that. And then John Elkin and myself on number 11 uh, took another runner and a big van up to Ramsey and we did the same, loading them all up. And then we stopped at um, Milltown where the track had been lifted into the power station and that was loaded onto the wagons too. And then the whole lot was brought back to Douglas. The only thing that was left in Ramsey was the old Manx Northern Crane. The site of Ramsey Station now contains the buildings that were until recently the Ramsey Bakery. Like the Northern Railway, now just a memory. The road sign, reading Station Road, is the last remaining clue to its former life. The old Manx Northern Railway is still fondly remembered, more so than the Peel Line, I think. I'm finishing this programme with a great story from Michael Starkey, which makes a very fitting finale. Me and my best friend, Richard, Richard Mills, his name was, so I can say it now, and Michael, Michael Starkey. We had shorts, T-shirts and a pair of sandals, and we were waiting at the Ramsey station. And I remember that the station master, Mr Teddy Tonkin, who lived opposite us in, uh, in, Queen, in Queen's Pier Road, and I remember him cycling over every day, and he always, I always remember the cycle clip, bicycle clips. I can remember, I remember us sitting at the ra- railway station in Ramsey. My father always showed um, his flowers in, and his uh, fruit and veg at the Solby Flower Show in the Solby Hall, and it was a scorching hot day, and we would go out early because we were there before it opened. It opened, I think, at 2.30, and I think that it got into Solby at 2 o'clock, I might be wrong about that, but it'd be near enough. And the main thing was sitting in that train, going out there, and when we got to Solby, I remember the train stopping, all the hissing and the noise of the train coming out. And then we got off the train and we sat on the on a seat just right outside the Solby Glen station and watched the train pull away. And you know what? It was the silence of a, of a country railway station. It was unbelievable. No traffic noise or anything. And then the train pulled away and we sat there and the Solby, the Solby Flower Show didn't open until 2.30, so we had about 25 minutes to wait for it to open. And it was just so quiet. All you can hear was the buzzing of the bees and the train would go off into the distance and we just sat there and we couldn't believe how quiet it was. And, and I remember it to this day, and when, when I still see my friend, he comes over, lives in England now, and we still talk about it, was the quietness of a country railway station, and it'll probably never happen again. I hope you've enjoyed these three programmes, looking at the 150-year-old Isle of Man steam railway. I've enjoyed putting the programmes together, and would like to thank everyone who kindly agreed to be interviewed for their Manx Railway memories.
If you missed any of this series, you can find them all online, together with an extra episode as podcasts at manxradio.com.